Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good morning, everybody. You are so welcome. It is great to see, um, I nearly said uh, living people in here, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> Good to see people in here. Um, it was really weird uh, last week and uh, in the autumn, whenever I did some preaching and teaching to these types of rooms, you become such a student of people's eyebrows, you know, like, so um, if you can, just uh, keep your eyebrows kind of up in a, like, a smiley posture, that would be helpful for me. Um, if you are home watching, we are so glad that you're here. I just want to echo what Lou said. We are working really hard on thinking through what do we do with additional services? How do we fit more people in here in a way that's safe and all that sort of stuff? So uh, please just bear with us as we do that. Who knew that 7 o'clock on a Wednesday would become such an important time in all of our week? Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it is. Um, we made it. Um, we are in our, I don't know whether we should all be excited about this or not, but we are in our final Sunday in Matthew. Um, if you are a guest or visitor, uh, if you're watching uh, online, you haven't been with us before, we've been teaching through the book of Matthew since before COVID was a thing. Um, yes, that long. December 2019, we started this journey in the book of Matthew. I remember actually when Stu and I were chatting and praying about what we were going to do, and uh, we mapped out how long it was going to take us to teach through the book of Matthew. And um, we thought first, like, we were like, well, can we do it in six weeks? And then we were like, no, we probably couldn't do it in six weeks. Maybe we'll do it in three months. And then we started, and we're like, we can't do it in three months. Maybe we can do it in a year. We're like, no. And then we we're like, Easter 2021, we will finish. And little did we know what the year between that meeting and this moment was going to be like. But we have made it. Uh, this is our last Sunday in the book of Matthew forever. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just me that feels that way. Um, I'm only kidding. Um, but we are, we're in Matthew chapter 28 um, this morning. And um, yeah, let me, let, let me pray. And then I'm going to read Matthew 28, uh, verse 16 through to verse 20 for us. Uh, come, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, that you long to encounter us to form us and shape us and to be with us in our lives. And we just confess right now, we need your voice in our lives. We need you, Jesus. Come and speak to us, we pray. Amen. This is Matthew 28, verse 16, says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age it's such a, a famous passage of Scripture. There are some of you here with us that I'm sure could quote this off by heart um, to me. And really, this is the beginning of the rest of the story. The book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is really just simply a story. One of Jesus' followers wrote the story of Jesus, of what he came to earth 
to do. And what's really important for us to understand is that story was never supposed to end with Jesus' ascension that we read about in Acts chapter 1 or with the death of the apostles. That the story that Matthew has been telling or retelling to us over the last 18 months is the same story that we are supposed to find ourselves caught up in in the midst of our everyday ordinary lives. One of the, the great truths is that God created people with and for purpose. This isn't like, um, I, I used to do an awful lot of youth work and um, used to do like youth weekends and youth conferences. And like one of the great kind of adrenaline filled youth talks was like, God has a purpose for your life. And, uh, you know, when teenagers typically get really excited about Jesus, that, that normally is one of the first questions they want to ask. Like, what does God want me to do with my life? Like, should I go to Africa or should I go into this career or that career? What is it that God wants me to do with my life? And it's kind of partly true and partly untrue, that kind of mindset or thinking, because the reality is, for the most part, I don't think God really cares whether you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, Right? The issue is what kind of butcher or baker or candlestick maker you are. It's not, I don't believe that there are necessarily set preordained career paths for each of us, at least not for most of us. It is certainly true that there are exceptions and there are times when God breaks into our lives and says, here's a path specifically that I want you to walk down. But so often we get caught in the specifics and we miss out on the big picture story that we're supposed to be caught up in. It is possible to be a doctor and to practice medicine in a way that is completely and utterly disconnected from the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. The point isn't what career you should have or what thing you should do. The point is what way do you go about doing that thing? And does it reflect and mirror the realities of the kingdom of God breaking into our lives? It is no less true, though, that we do have purpose. God put us here on purpose, that we have stuff that we are supposed to be involved in whether we are stay-at-home parents, students, whether we're retired, whatever that kind of is. And I wonder how able you are to articulate the purposes of God. Sounds like a massive question, right? Like Sunday lunch chat, just throw it out at your kids. What are the purposes of God? How able are you to talk and converse about the purposes of God, not in lofty theological language, but in practical, earthy, what does this look like for me tomorrow? How does my Monday morning reflect and inhabit the purposes of God here on earth? It's an important thing for us to be able to do if we are to take up our place with Jesus and the Holy Spirit demonstrating to the world around us the desires of God. Of course, that is what the kingdom of God is. But there's this cultural fear that I think get in, gets in the way for us here in Northern Ireland. You'll be familiar with the expression to be too big for your boots, right? 
I mean, it's just a lovely thing that we have here in Northern Ireland. And the, the meaning of that expression, to be too big for your boots, is simply this, that there is a preset ceiling for your life. That somebody somewhere has decided that your life should never amount to more than whatever that ceiling is. And if you dare to kind of dream, imagine, even be so foolish as to articulate that you have something lofty sounding that you would like to give your life to or spend your life doing, then please, God, would someone love you enough to bring you back down to earth, preferably with a bit of a bump? We have this fear that we would be seen to be too big for our boots as if the purposes of God could be contained within a pair of size nine leather boots. You see, if, if we are to join in with Jesus in our everyday ordinary lives, then we need to recognize that our lives are supposed to be caught up in the purposes of God. Those are lofty things. Justice, mercy, compassion, healing, freedom, forgiveness. Like, the, the purposes of God are, are not supposed to be contained to some religious elite. You know those, like, super Christians? Some of you will know some of them. Some of you are foolish enough to think I am one of them. The, the purposes of God are supposed to be for all of us. And whenever God begins to speak to us about what we should do with our lives, usually from somewhere or someone, possibly even ourselves, this question kind of comes from nowhere. And the question is a version of, who do you think you are? Like, really? Like, you, you think you could be involved in that stuff. Look at the state of your life. Look at what you were doing last week. Look at how you answered that person. Look at all of those kind of things. This story, th this um, commission, as it's known, I, I think is, is really helpful for us in embracing the things that God invites us into in our lives, because one of the great challenges for all of us is how do we reconcile the inbreaking kingdom of God and the ordinariness of our lives? Like we still have rubbish to put out and dishes to do and responsibilities and kids that annoy us and you know that sort of stuff. How do we reconcile these things? I have had to learn that so much of what we call humility in this weird wee part of the world is actually pride. So often, the thing that holds us back most is our unwillingness potentially to look slightly different or to put our head above a particular parapet. And see, the reality is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. And when you see the vastness of the call of God in the church, and the part that God is inviting you to play in it, it's really important that you don't have eyes that look at yourself because all you will therefore see is deficiency. 
All, all you see is the parts of you that don't work or don't fit, the parts of you that are broken, the things. But the problem there is that you're looking at yourself. When we focus on God, things change. I love the honesty of Matthew in this particular passage. Jesus has risen. He's instructed his disciples to go to a mountain to meet him there. They're going to be given uh, some important stuff in that place. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's such an interesting detail there. When they see Jesus, some worship and some doubt. Or the other word that can be translated there is some hesitate. Some are like, I'm not sure if this is the right thing for us to be doing right now. I don't know about you, but I kind of relate to that bunch of Jesus followers. Like, sometimes I wish that I could just turn off the questions in my mind. I know for certain my wife wishes that often. I, I have, like, a kind of brain that just likes to analyze and I cannot help but just in almost any subject matter that's being discussed, just naturally assume the position of devil's advocate, to use a bad metaphor as a preacher. I, I can't help but go, well, that may be what's going on, but what if there's something else going on? I just can't ever seem to turn off the questions. And I have, if I'm being really honest with you, no doubt whatsoever if I were among those disciples on that mountain in that moment where some of them are just like, it's Jesus, let's worship him. I would probably be a bit more like, now hold on a wee second. Let's just, let's just think about this for a second. Like I was there when they arrested him and I know we've seen him. Like he did appear to us last week and he did tell us to come here, but maybe that was like the food we were eating the night before and I haven't been sleeping very well. And you know, there could be something else going on here. That's more likely to be where I would find myself. It's amazing that Jesus is about to commission his followers to go and establish the church in the world and demonstrate the new reality of God's kingdom on earth, right? That's what he's about to do. He's about to say to these guys gathered on this mountain, off you go now and show the world that I am alive and now king. Now, if you were picking a team to go and represent you to the world, I, I wonder what would be on your list of kind of essential criteria on that particular job description. Like maybe being convinced that you're alive would be important, right? Like if these guys are going to be sent to go and tell the world that Jesus is alive, then surely an important thing they should be convinced of is that he is alive. I find it fascinating that in this moment where these disciples come to Jesus and some of them are like, risen Jesus, we worship you. And some of them are like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. It's so fascinating to me that Jesus doesn't go, those of you who are worshiping, come here a second. 
I have some important work for you to do. Those of you who are confused, wait there. I'll send one of these guys over, and you'll be the first project. Convince them that Jesus is alive. It fascinates me that Jesus doesn't do it that way. And I, I think the reason why he doesn't is because he knows that neither camp are ready for what he's about to say. What's coming next is going to make the convinced and the confused equally overwhelmed and out of their depth. Jesus says in this moment to these followers of his, and I think this is no different for us today in this moment, and this is so important, that there is a part for us to play in his kingdom regardless of where we are in our faith levels. So many of us disqualify ourselves from the presence of God and the purposes of God because we have questions or doubts. I love that the very beginning, the very genesis of the church has got both parties, the convinced and the confused, and Jesus says, I choose you both. You may be here this morning, you may be watching online, and you're like, I'm not really sure what I think about this Jesus. He invites you. He invites you in that state to find a place in his kingdom. The work of God's kingdom, as we looked at last week, is not for the elite, the together, and the impressive. The work of the kingdom is for the weaklings and the doubters and the fearful. It's for all of us, and there is a place for you if you want in. Having confidence in our commission to lose our lives in the purposes and the plans of God must first and foremost be rooted in our confidence of the person doing the commissioning, not ourselves. Like if, if we think that we actually belong there and we deserve to be there and we get it, I think frankly in Northern Ireland there might be about 2% of us would get in. And those people are too big for their boots. Our confidence in our commission doesn't come from our confidence in ourselves. It comes from our confidence in Him. And the reality is He looks at all of us and says, come, come, come and find a place for your life and your story within my life and my story. How easy it would have been to make a case for why Jesus shouldn't or wouldn't call these men on this mountain. We don't know which camp Peter falls in in this particular moment. My suspicion is he's firmly in the worshiping camp, not wanting to make a mistake ever again. Remember, when Jesus is arrested just hours beforehand, he looks at Peter and says, I'm basically going to die. And Peter says, well, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me publicly three times in this very night. And Peter's like, you're, I'm definitely not Jesus. And sure enough, three times that night, somebody asks Peter, 
you're, you're one of his followers, right? And he's like, absolutely not, definitely not. I've never been with that man. Like, God doesn't behave the way we behave. Peter couldn't bring himself to publicly acknowledge Jesus. And here he is, just a few days or weeks later, being commissioned by Jesus. These men are standing in front of the resurrected Christ, and some of them are still not sure. Jesus is in charge. He gets the commission whomever he wants to, and in this moment, he chooses us. As we look at the rest of 2021, as we look at the uncertainty of the future, as we look at some of the pain that we carry out of the last year, Jesus looks at us freshly and says, there is a part for you to play in my story, in this place, do you want in? Regardless of how faith-filled or doubt-filled, regardless of how certain or confused you've spent the last year, regardless of the mistakes, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what has happened, there's a reset moment where Jesus says, do you want in? Jesus moves past their confidence and their confusion, neither matter when they hear what's coming next. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a pretty incredible statement. Remember Matthew chapter 4? We looked at it in like 2014. (laughs) Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. The scripture tells us that Satan takes Jesus to the top of a mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and Satan says, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to Satan, away from me for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't correct Satan in that moment. You don't have the authority to give me those things. Satan offers Jesus a place without a price, the tyranny of a hollow triumph, a cheap fake. And he does it to all of us all the time. Here's an easier way to get to what you want. Here's a shortcut to a hollow destiny. But the risen Christ on this mountain in this moment is saying something entirely different. He says, I have defeated Satan, sin, and death now. And all authority in heaven and on earth is now rightfully mine. The other way of uh, saying this, Jesus is standing in front of them saying, I am now ruling everything. I am now king. I am now king here and now. I am ruling over everything. His is the authority under which we find our place in his purposes. It is us ruling under the authority of Jesus that allows God's new life to begin to flourish because Jesus has conquered that unholy trinity. Without getting too technical, this is fundamental kingdom theology. Jesus is saying his kingdom has come. His kingdom has come. This is not him saying the world is exactly as it will one day be. The claim is that he is working now to take it from where it was under the rule of Satan, sin, and death. Every kind of greed, corruption, wickedness, and evil, and to bring it under the rule of his life-giving love. We talked about this briefly last week in that brilliant box set called Band of Brothers. 
we're at the end of uh, the series when the um, soldiers, the, World War II has essentially ended. Hitler has been defeated, he's dead, but the reality is there are still prisoners in concentration camps. The war is over, the tyrant has been defeated, but the soldiers still need to go and release the captives. That is what Jesus is saying, these, or where Jesus is saying these men now find themselves. I am now king. The war is now over. Go and open the gates and tell the prisoners that they are now free. That's the shocking part, right? How does Jesus go about demonstrating his kingdom? By ordinary people, you and me, demonstrating his love and his life wherever we find ourselves, in pharmacies and in classrooms, in corridors and in our homes. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations or go make all nations into disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And know this, I will be with you until the end of the age. That's just the most ridiculous statement ever. Like, if you've grown up around church, or you, you've read the Bible a bit, or you're maybe just a little bit bored, it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. These guys in this moment, most of them have never left the country that they've been born in. Today, they would be the equivalent of people who don't even have passports. Like, they don't even have a passport. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, guys, I want you to start off with your neighbor who's pretty sympathetic to the idea of God. Or that colleague that you've been praying for and has started asking you questions, go and try to convince them to follow Jesus. That's not where Jesus starts with these guys. Remember, just a moment ago, a whole bunch of them were like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Jesus says, go into the whole world and make them disciples. We can't really wrap our heads around what this must have been like for the disciples gathered around Jesus, except that that commission is the same for us as it was for them today. Except most of us think if we really believed it, it would be too big for our boots. So we'll just try and, you know, love Jesus and be a good person. Read your Bible a bit. Jesus is telling these ordinary guys with their varying degrees of faith, confusion, and certainty that they are to spend the rest of their lives with their lives being ordered around the purposes of God. That that's what comes first. If they can figure that out, then everything else will be okay. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You can imagine somebody like Peter in this moment nudging one of the other disciples going, that's great theology. He's totally right. I knew that he was going to say that. He's alive. He's now king. Of course he is. Therefore, go and make all of the nations into disciples. Wait, what? Surely follow me as I do that would be a much more palatable and expected sentence from Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, follow me as I go and do this. Yes, sir, Jesus. I'm in. Give me a flag, and I'll happily march behind you. But that's not what he says. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go and show the world that I am alive and ruling and my kingdom has now come. If you're anything like me, you feel overwhelmed, underqualified, and frankly, like Jesus' maybe it's resurrection brain. It's not quite there yet. Surely he cannot mean this. These are fishermen and tax collectors, one of them potentially an ex-terrorist. Jesus is asking them to do something simply that is impossible. He's asking them to do something that is impossible. And that's really, really important because it's pretty normal for Jesus. If you read the way he's been teaching them through the previous kind of 22 or 23 chapters, it's like discipleship is like being schooled in the impossible. It's, it's not supposed to be read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Read your Bible, pray every day. I'm for those things. I do those things. But discipleship is about being schooled in the impossible. That as we follow Jesus, we see impossible things being made possible. Following Jesus and being commissioned to the impossible are one and the same thing. And you see that right throughout the whole scripture. Just about every time God speaks to somebody, he asks them to do something that they think or believe is impossible for them. But somehow, whenever little whispers come into our heads or our hearts of what God might be saying to us, instantly we think, no, no, that's a pathway that leads me to being too big for my boots. I will stay quietly in my corner doing my little bit. When we reduce the call of God in our lives to something that we can fit in our lives, something that we can manage Without him, we stray often into pride and arrogance that looks like humility, but trust me, it's not. Being rooted in a commission that is at its core utterly impossible for us without the presence and power of a supernatural God is indeed what keeps us humble. It's as we move towards impossible things, we cover our heads and think, oh, Jesus, help me, because <laughs> if you're not alive, I'm going to look really stupid. We must re resist reducing reading the Bible to trying to love our enemies, forgive those who do us wrong, and generally just be kind of a good person who prays a little bit. I'm for all of those things, by the way, but it's just that his commission is so much broader and bigger than that. Jesus goes on, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's hardly a church tradition that doesn't agree with this text. It's absolutely central to Orthodox faith. All authority has been given to Jesus. Therefore, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, we will go. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll maybe argue about the amount of water and the stage of life that that has to happen, but general consensus, those are important. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the one we just want to rub out, right? Like that's the part of the Great Commission that gets awkward because part of his commission to the disciples was heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That's, that's part of what he commissions his followers to do. I wonder how you're doing with those. Discipleship was never supposed to be manageable, safe, or doable. It only makes sense when we understand that it's impossible 
and we understand that it's supposed to be. That's what keeps us rooted in humility. And then there's this beautiful thing that Jesus says to these guys at the end of the passage. He says, finally, know this. If you will order your lives around these things, then I promise that my presence will never depart from you. Know this. I will be with you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. As we... Lucy, Tom, and guys, come on back up. As we finish our journey in the book of Matthew, it is so important for us to understand that it ends with a commission for the story Matthew has been telling to never end. This story of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God was not supposed to end in Matthew 28. Acts 28. It is continually unfolding, and the invitation and commission from Jesus is as real and as relevant to us in this moment, on this day, as it was to these men on that moment and on that day. That regardless of where you put yourself on a faith spectrum, Jesus says, I commission you, I choose you. And I don't commission or choose you to come and do something that's easy or manageable or something that you can fit into 10 minutes in the morning or an hour on a Sunday or because of COVID, whenever your time of watching church actually is. It's not supposed to be contained there. It's about us ordering our lives, our entire lives around demonstrating the love the presence and the life of Jesus to whomever we meet, wherever we go. If you're able, will you stand? Just invite you um, just to be quiet for a minute. It might help you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. It's only uh, the Spirit of God and the presence of God that changes this moment from hopefully somewhat of an interesting talk on a bunch of words that were written over a thousand years ago to something that changes the very trajectory of our lives. So we just want to wait, wait on the Holy Spirit for a moment and invite Him. Lord, we say we are dependent upon You to do the things that only You can do. Lord, we want Your voice way more than many of us need or want my voice. Come and speak now. Breathe on Your people. We need You. Lord, we recognize that your kingdom is one of beauty and of love and of life. And we welcome it in our lives now. Come and invade our lives with hope, with love, 
And Lord Jesus, just as you, on that mountain, on that moment, commissioned your followers to go and demonstrate that same love and life to the world around them, Lord, we pray that you would commission us again. Come, Holy Spirit, and send us to the world. Send us to the world. Lord, we just ask you to forgive us for reducing your call in our lives to something we can manage, something we can fit into a schedule, something that we can, can be contained into a few moments in the morning or the evening. Lord, we just repent of that. Come and blow freshly through us again. Expand our imagination. Fling wide the doors into our hearts. Set fire to our passions again. Lord, come and do the things that only you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Band are going to lead us in, in worship as, uh, as we move towards a, a close. Can I really encourage you to stay in that posture of openness, um, of just being aware of God maybe reminding you of things that he's spoken to you about in the past, things that maybe you'd even spoken of to others, or maybe actually in this moment, God's going to begin to whisper to some of you of new things that he wants to do in your life, new seasons, new opportunities, fresh um, endeavors and adventures. Uh, with him, just open your hearts to him. Lord, may we never try to contain your plans and purposes for our lives to the sides of our own boots. I pray that you would fill us freshly with courage and faith and with vision to lose ourselves in your plans and purposes for the world. Send us from here in part your resurrection life. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. 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 Folks, you may be seated.